Welcome to Scouting the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2021 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy, and you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter, and joining me as he will be every week is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at the Ride Report. What's up, Vincent? Hey, how are you? Doing well, man, doing well. Another week of the offseason down. And not very much happened this week when you think about how much happened last week with the Panthers, yeah. you know, with the releases and everything. But one constant of the Panthers offseason has been the news about Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of chatter about the Deshaun Watson situation in, in Houston. So anytime that there's chatter about Deshaun Watson, there's talks of him potentially becoming a Carolina Panther. Um, before we get into our prospects this week, I just want to get your take on what you think about you know, the constant news and the trade scenarios around Deshaun Watson and potentially becoming a Carolina Panther. Yeah, so I think it's, it's it, I, I think it's fairly clear he, he wants to be out of Houston. Um, I think there's kind of a, a, there seems to be sort of some conflict in terms of whether that's sort of likely or not. I think Houston really doesn't want to trade him. Like, I, I don't think it's just posturing and them kind of trying to push up offers. I think they genuinely don't, don't would ideally not like to trade him. But there comes a point where it just becomes untenable and they kind of have to start considering their options. I I do think that it's probably not going to something... It probably isn't something that's going to happen before free agency, I'd imagine. Like, I, I, I can't imagine they're going to be in a rush to trade him. You know, they're, they're going to try and get what they, you know, the absolute most they possibly can for him. So I, I, I can't imagine this is something that's going to escalate suddenly in the next week or so. But I... I definitely think the Panthers should be interested. Like, I think a player of that caliber is someone who you should definitely, you know, if they become available, like, you know, the whole Scott Fitter thing about, you know, being in on every deal. This is a deal you want to be in on. Like, even if you're not the team that he goes to, you need, you know, the Panthers should make an offer. Um, I think the issue is, I I can't see how he's going to want to come to Carolina over some of the other options. And I can't see how the Panthers can offer a competitive deal compared to some other places without completely sacrificing everything. And I, I think ultimately what it comes back to is that if you're going to trade for Deshaun Watson, particularly if you're going to trade away sort of multiple future picks and, and sort of a huge bevy of assets, you've got to do so in a way that allows you to be good year one. Because if you're sort of, you know, if you trade for Deshaun Watson and you're seven and nine in year one, and then you have no first round pick next year, no first round pick the year after, no second round pick next year, say, it's hard to see how you're going to improve massively if you have no assets to do that with. And also his contract, while not massively expensive compared to how good he is, it's not some cheap rookie deal. Like he is going to be a significant part of your wage bill. You know, you're you're going to have to pay him and he's going to limit what you can then go and do in free agency. So I, I, I think he's a player the Panthers should definitely look to, to, to be in, in sort of in the conversation with. I just think some of the, the proposals are, would ultimately be damaging to the Panthers. Like if you're giving away, I don't think, you know, giving away Teddy Bridgewater, I don't think really changes very much because that's effectively a, a like a one-for-one swap. But if you're giving away McCaffrey, at, particularly the keys are going to be players like one McCaffrey, but also Brian Burns. And if Jeremy Chin gets involved as well, like those are, are foundational pieces of what you're trying to build. And if you're giving away those kind of players on top of like multiple first round picks, you're one making your team noticeably worse in the short term, whilst also making it very hard for you to get better in the future. So 
while Deshaun Watson would obviously be an improvement over Teddy Bridgewater, if you have to give up Brian Burns and Christian McCaffrey to do it, I'm not sure you actually make your team that much better in the short term. And also you then, if you're losing first round picks as well, you then can't get better. So I, I think it's, there are trade proposals that I think make some sense, but I don't think this is one of those things where you just put everything they possibly could ask for in a deal and send it, because I think then you you ultimately harm your chances of being a good team in the near future. And, and honestly, I agree with you. When you were just stating that you would give away, you know, this first round draft pick, which is essentially a wash, you know, and then 2022 and 2023. Um, and if you include a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, you know, that's a one-for-one -one swap positionally. So you wouldn't lose much by giving up Teddy, obviously. And he is an upgrade to Teddy Bridgewater. But then if you throw in players like Christian McCaffrey, our 2017 first-round draft pick, and then a guy like Brian Burns, who you know, was our 2019 first-round draft pick, you know, not only are you giving up three first-round draft picks, you know, with potential, but you're giving up two former ones, you know, who are, as yeah. you said, foundational pieces. And, 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 cruci and, and crucially, Burns is still got three years under contract of rookie deal. Right. So it's, it's like Brian Burns should be worth probably two first round picks. Like if you tried to trade Burns, you'd want multiple first round picks for him. Right. If, if you're including him in any trade for Deshaun Watson and then multiple first round picks, you're looking at selling, you know, it's going to be very hard to replace Brian Burns. If you're, yes. if you're having to replace Brian Burns without first-round picks, it's going to be next to impossible. Um, it, it, there is, there is, it, it feels like it would be very easy to create a situation where Deshaun Watson in Carolina is basically just Deshaun Watson in Houston with, with you know, different <laughs> coaching staff. Because, again, the issue with Houston is they have no assets. They can't get better. There's no draft picks to, to replace you. Know, they, they, they have issues they need to address, and they have no draft picks to do it with. And you'd get to a point where if you, if you trade for him in Carolina, you're going to still have loads of issues. They're not going to fix the offensive line this season. You're going to have an issue at tight end. You don't have much depth at receiver. Defense would then be a complete you know, rebuild. And you then have no assets to really do it with. And, and you then end up in a situation where you're like, you're fine. But you, you know, you're looking at like 2023 when you then maybe get a draft pick, first round draft pick again. And it's like, that's when you may be starting to like push to contend. And it's like, that's, that's, that's a... No, that's not you, what you want. You, know, no, it's, it's, you don't want to trade the farm for a quarterback that allows you to compete in two or three years time kind of thing. Like you, no. you have to have a package that allows you to compete right now, because otherwise you're, it, unless it doesn't involve any future first round picks, unless you somehow manage to find a way to trade for him without giving up multiple first round picks, you have to be good now. And that's what I said. Deal. I said that when, when the, when the trade scenario was first proposed, I love the Sean Watson. I follow a lot of Clemson football. And being a South Carolinian, when they beat Alabama in that championship in, in 2017, um, I was just elated. And he was a hero. And I would love for him to be a Carolina Panther. But what I don't want is for us to become the Carolina Texans. Hmm. And I said that, you know, when it was proposed that he could become a, a Panther. But, you know, when they start talking about all that it would take to get him, I was like, we'll find ourselves in the same position as the Texans was, you know, with what they did to try to, to, to win now with him. And I don't want that for Carolina. I don't want to get Deshaun Watson in here with him. Now we have like this great quarterback, but we still struggle to get over the top. Yeah, we could win a, two or three more games um, 
than we won this past year. It could win four more games. But I don't see any scenario where we become serious Super Bowl contenders with the way that the roster is currently constructed and taking away uh, potential first-round draft picks in the future that will help us get a lot better. And especially if you include two of the foundational pieces or even one of the foundational pieces that we currently have in place. In that regard, I don't like it. If there's a way that they can make a, a, a trade proposal that is good for the Texans and is good enough for us to get Watson and it doesn't damage us by doing both, and by both I mean taking away the, the future picks and you know some current foundational superstars, yeah. then maybe, you know, but there are not a lot of deals out there where I feel like it would be a, a win-win for Carolina. I think the win would be more emotional yeah. for a lot of fans than it would be very smart uh, from a football perspective. In terms, because this is the thing, and we uh, I'm not going to stay here long. You know, there would be other episodes and time to discuss this. But one thing I think we as fans struggle to to, to deal with is 2020 should have been an outright rebuilding season. Yeah. We don't know why they went out and, and, and signed Teddy Bridgewater specifically um, or signed Robbie Anderson to a two-year $20 million deal or some of the other moves they did while obviously having a roster that wasn't built to win now. But it, it felt like some dueling interests um, in terms of where the team was and, and, uh, and what the plan was for 2020. But I think in doing that, it didn't allow us as a fan base to fully embrace who we are right now. And so now, and I think, I mean, some of that is on Matt Rule too, I mean, because, you know, I think there was yeah, footage he, of him he, saying that he didn't want to, to no, take he, a lot. He, 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 he definitely sowed some seeds of optimism that I think were a little bit uh, a little <laughs> bit too optimistic. Like, you know, sensibly, yes. I, I, the Panthers could maybe have got lucky and won eight games last year. Like, you know, they'd have to have got right. lucky, but they could maybe have done it. But the idea of this team being anything other than like a, a non-play, you know, the idea of this team making the playoffs, they'd have to have been extremely lucky to have made the playoffs. Um, right, and, right. And, I mean, like, regardless of what happened, regardless of, what happened, you know, with the, the 0-8 and, and one-score games or any of that, we would have had to be really, really lucky. You know, even when we were 3-2, and two, some people tweeted me and asked me, like, hey, you know, Panthers culture, what do you think of the uh, chances that we make the playoffs now? I kept saying, you know, one week at a time, one week at a time. And I'm an optimistic guy, but I looked at the upcoming schedule. I knew that there were some tough, some tough games coming up. And I felt, you know, that we were good enough to potentially be, you know, nine and seven, eight and eight, you know, just with the, the, the schedule that we had. But the ball, it, it, it didn't fall out, you know, it didn't bounce our way in the, in, the, in the close games. And because of that, you know, we ended up right where I think we were or, you know, should have been as a team and, at, at five and 11. You know, some of it, and I think some of the problem that we had is, is that, in too many games, it looked like we could have won or should have won. Uh, but there were a lot of things and reasons why we didn't win. And down the stretch, you know, the reason was the quarterback position for a lot of people. And, and it seems like the coaching 
staff believes that. And that's why we're talking about Deshaun Watson every time his name is, is yeah, mentioned. I, I, I think there is a, maybe a little bit of a line to be drawn between the coaching staff and ownership. Like, don't wrong, yeah. I, I don't think Matt Rule came away from the season and like, yeah, Teddy's been really good. We, you know, we're, we're just not there yet. I think they, they would have liked Teddy to be better. And I think Teddy should have been better. But yeah. I, I think the sort of like, Teddy is not good enough. We need to get a replacement right now that's more something you seem to get from Tepper and not from Rule. Like, I think Rule would like an upgrade. I don't think Rule is kind of, you know, desperately banging on Scott Federer's door saying, you need to get me a new QB. <laughs> I, I think that's more coming from, from upstairs, shall we say. Like, I, I, that this team has a lot of things it needs to fix. Like, you know, the, the offensive line is going to be retooled this offseason. The wide receiver core is, you know, offensive weapon-wise – the only ones, the only notable weapons that are definitely coming back are like more Robbie Anderson and McCaffrey at this point. Like, you know, that's 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 not enough. Yeah, you know, there's no depth at receiver. There isn't really that much impact at tight end. Like, you know, they need to add more offensive weapons. Defensively, there's still a lot of things they need to work on. Like, this is not a this is not a team that's you know, I think this is really when you come to like trade scenarios, is, is that when when you talk about trading for a player like Watson, some of it is about what teams are willing to give up, but but generally it, Generally, bidding wars are not won by the team with the most assets. They're won by the team that's willing to give up the most assets. Right. And, and generally, at least if you're doing it well, that means the team that is going to benefit the most by adding that player and has the most assets to give up. And I cannot see how there is a world in which Miami are not able to offer more than the Panthers, both because Miami has more to offer in terms of assets, in terms, particularly in terms of draft picks, but, but also because Miami are that much closer to being a contending team. And actually, if, if Miami, the improvement they get from, you know, unless they really believe that Tua is the guy and that he's going to make this big step year two and that kind of stuff. Like adding Deshaun Watson takes Miami from what they 10 and six this year to maybe like 12 and four or 13 and three. And that's a really yeah. big step. That's a step from like borderline playoff to legitimate contender. Whereas if, if Deshaun Watson improves the campus by three or four games, that's from five and eleven to nine and seven. To and a you're wild still, card. Yeah, maybe getting a wild card spot. And it's like that that's yeah. you know, what you'll give up to go from fringe playoff to contender is should you know, Miami should be willing to give up more than Carolina, even if they have the same assets, and because they have yeah. more assets. Like and, unless Miami just don't unless Miami just trust Tua and don't want to really make a move, that I, I cannot see a way in which the Panthers are able to offer more than Miami without them overpaying like the the only way they can they can outbid Miami is by just by, by bidding too much basically because Miami have more Miami in this situation Miami have more money and have more need of the thing they're bidding for so it, it, it's it, it, and it's, you're right you know the the crazy part is I believe what you said is true I think the news and the buzz about Deshaun Watson in Carolina it starts with Dave Tepper and Given Tepper's aggression, I know that he would definitely be willing to offer a lot. Mm-hmm. And what Panthers fans, what all of us, the organization, team, you know, the players on the team, what they should be hoping for is that Miami isn't interested. Because yeah. if Miami is interested, then it's going to force the Panthers, if Dave Tepper is driving that train, to have to offer something that's so ridiculous and goofy to where it's going to ultimately hurt us yeah. more than help us long-term. But, you know, that's, that's enough about 
Deshaun, you know, and the quarterback position. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure we're not going to talk about, about either. I'm sure we're not going to talk about either ever again this offseason. This will be the last we ever mention either Deshaun no, 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 or I mean, quarterbacks. I, I, I won't tell that fib, you know, but 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 for this week and the purpose of this yeah. episode, we need to focus on on the guys that the the quarterback position passes to the most, and that's the wide receiver position. Mm-hmm. Um, so this episode is squarely on the wide receiver candidates in the in the 2021 NFL draft. But before we get into the prospects themselves, let's talk about who we currently have on the roster and where they are contract wise and and you know who will be here you know in 2021 and you know who may not be here in 2022 and you know in some cases who appear to be here in 2021 but could get traded or whatever. So you know, right now on the roster we have DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, and we just re-signed Brandon Zilstra and um, Keith Kirkwood um, to deals. And, and, and we potentially have um, a, a, re- a very good prospect coming back in year two after basically being red-shirted and um, Omar Bayless. Mm-hmm. But then we have some, some question marks in terms of what happens with Curtis Samuel. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and then beyond that, in which is, is Robbie Anderson's situation. You know, he's on the team this year. But what about next year? You know, his, his contract was for two years. This is the second of those two years. And so given Curtis Samuel's uncertain future in Carolina, Robbie Anderson only has one year left on this contract, and we are going into year four of what we presume to be a five-year yeah, they, 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 uh, contract with DJ. Like, I, where do we stand at the wide receiver position? I mean, I, I can't imagine the Panthers won't op- option, uh, exercise that fifth-year option. Like, that that would be completely bizarre. <laughs> um, it just, it, yeah, that would be one of those things that just makes no sense. I, I just, that, that, that should be completely assumed. Um, I, I think Curtis Samuel probably doesn't re-sign unless he really just doesn't get the contract he's looking for elsewhere. Like, uh, I... I think for a combination of reasons, I think he probably wants to be in a bigger market. I think that's some of it. Um, but I think also yeah. it's going to be quite hard, particularly if McCaffrey comes back. You know, he is not going to be a major, you know, he's a very good player. He's a really useful player. But if, if you have this approach of having like a 1A, a 1B, a 1C and a 1D, you know, the 1D option is not particularly appealing compared to going somewhere else and just being like a legitimate two. Like, you know, if if, if he goes to, to to somewhere else and he's, you know, if he goes to Green Bay or, or to Jacksonville and he's suddenly like, you know, he is, he is the guy or one of the guys that's just, that, that has an appeal in of itself. And also just cap wise, it's going to be quite hard for them to find the money to pay him. Um, I think he probably walks and again, unless the market for him is just much, much lower than we expect. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Like, I mean, there's been some talk of him getting sort of, you know, something like on the lines of like, Four year, fifty million, or something like that. I mean, I, I'd be a little surprised if he gets that much. I'd have thought it'd be That's more. Crazy. I thought it'd be more on the lines of like four years, thirty five, four years, forty. Um, yeah. I think for the Panthers, if he starts getting to like four years, thirty, that's when you start being like, okay, we can legitimately make this. You know, I think you could justify offering that kind of contract. But yeah. you know, if, if you've got two thousand yard receivers and you're probably going to have a potential third one in McCaffrey coming back. It's very hard to, to to go like okay we're gonna pay you know twelve and a half million a year to our fourth receiving option kind of thing so I I think he probably walks though obviously he'd be a good player to have back it's just money is not infinite um, I think in Moore and Anderson they have an interesting duo 
Uh, I think Anderson, obviously, there is the bit of him potentially walking after the year. I think it will depend on the money and what he does this year. If he has another sort of 1,200-yard season, for example, they either commit to him and he's a major part of what they do going forward or he gets, you know, city buggers money somewhere else. Um, so I, I think in the short term, they need depth. I mean, because sensibly, you've got more on Anderson, which is fine. And I, I, I like Omar Bayless. I think Brandon Zilstra is fine. I think Keith Kirkwood could be an okay receiver, but there, there's really not much proven depth there. Like, you know, right. I, I think... I think of the players, apart from Moran, I think their leading receiver in career receiving yards is Kirkwood, and he has less than like 250 or something. Like there are there are really no proven options outside of those two. Um, yeah. And while you don't need like a whole roster of superstars, you, you need you you know we saw it when they played the Bears this year when Samuel and McCaffrey were out, and they basically just doubled DJ, they doubled Robbie Anderson, and just dared teams to beat them one on one, and they couldn't you know. Seth Roberts, Keith Kirkwood, you know, uh, Farrah Cooper, like you, you need, you need players who, who, who you can throw the ball to as third and fourth options. Maybe Omar Bayless is one of those Keith Kirkwood. We haven't really seen, maybe he's that, but they really, they, they really need to add some depth. Maybe that happens in free agency, but, but if you're going to, because you, because you can't keep paying everybody, they do need to draft players. Even if it's late, they need to add some cheap depth that, that can come in and contribute here and there. So yeah, I, I would be a little surprised in, unless they went after someone in a big way in free agency. Like if, if they bring back Samuel, then maybe it's different, but I, I'd be a little surprised if they just completely ignored a receiver in the draft, just because otherwise you have so little depth. Well, you know, it's something that I've always heard, you know, especially in modern NFL roster building is that your wide receiver group is only as good as your third receiver. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you know, the, the only caveat to that, like, is maybe in Carolina, you have the thing where McCaffrey is is legitimately probably the, the number one receiver. Like, if it's third and seven, you're going to McCaffrey. So you do have a little bit of a benefit where if you're putting out four, if, if so you go three receivers, a tight end, if you go to, like, 11 personnel, um, McCaffrey is a legitimate weapon of those of those five. Like, it probably is McCaffrey, then Moore and Anderson as, like, 2A and 2B. So and see, that, that part so, is, you know, to me, that part is so crazy to me. And, and... I don't know how to truly feel about it because I love what Christian McCaffrey can do out of the backfield. You know, obviously he's a dynamic player, um, the most versatile player in the NFL, um, probably has the best hands of any running back in the NFL. And I remember when they signed him, you know, to his extension last year, you know, the big thing about him was, you know, the fact that he was as much of a receiver as he was a yeah. running back. But I think he's like the the only player in the NFL that plays the running back position where not only you, but like wildly across the league, everybody considers him to be the number one receiver as well. He you is, know, like, he it's is, not like he, <laughs> he is a complete class above as a route runner. Um, you know, like, you no, know, I think that's the thing. Like, like Alvin Kamara is a really useful threat out the backfield as a receiver. Um, I mean, Saquon kind of has that potential, but hasn't quite put it all together yet. And there are guys who can definitely catch the ball well. But of yeah. the like the, the the like the guys who aren't just like pass catching specialists, McCaffrey is just an absolute class apart as a route runner. Like he 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 can just you know what separates him is that Alvin Kamara can you know if if, if you put if you you can cover Alvin Kamara one on one. There are yeah. very very few defenders who can cover McCaffrey one on one. He, he's just an inc- hyper-athletic and uh, excellent technical route runner. And I think when you get to like these third and seven situations, 
he gives you a genuine matchup option against man coverage. Like you have to double him. You either have now, to double just, him or, or or help underneath him. For the for the for the fans who are listening, I get that, and I believe it. You know, we've seen it. We know he has great feet. Uh, he has great technique. You know, on his releases as a route runner. But if he's so great at at doing those things. Why don't we use him more as a traditional wide receiver than we do? You know, I mean, because sometimes I think we can limit him by his, you know, by just running him primarily out of the backfield. I know we line him up at, you know, receivers. Some see, and- see, I, I, I think the thing, if you do it well out the backfield, the advantage of having the backfield out is that you can, if you line up in the slot, you you kind of are, I mean, the slot is, you do have some of this advantage in the slot, but but if, if you line someone up in the backfield, particularly if you do it out of the pistol, out of the eye, you can run yeah. right, you can run left, or you can run up the middle. Like you, you okay. can release so many different ways that it's much harder to then double that guy. Like it, it, unless you're just going to like two man him, in case you're just going to bracket him at the head of the route. Like if if someone's in the slot, you can you can help over the top of them, you can help inside of them, you can help in those kind of ways. Whereas if they're if they're if they start in the backfield, it's very hard to know where they're actually going to end up running their route to. Um, and so you can particularly against the blitz, it's really useful to have that kind of option where, where it's very hard for teams to target, to take away that quick option. Um, yeah. So, so I, th- I think there is a real value to having a high quality route runner out the backfield. That doesn't mean he shouldn't play some time in the slot as well, but, but the, I, you know, there is a real value to him running routes out of the backfield as well. So you're saying it's, 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 it's harder to, to defend him if he starts out in the backfield, because you, and therefore, as a defense, you don't know which way he's going. Yeah. Um, the caveat to that is it takes him longer to get vertical. So if, 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 yes. so what, what, I mean, it, it depends how you do it. So like generally, if you want a really, really quick um, hitting route for a running back, you just want them to flash to the, to the flat because, because, yeah. because, you know, it's basically just either someone runs with them or, you, I mean, sometimes with McCaffrey, he just outruns the guy to, to the, to the, to the, to the marker. So you're kind of, you get an advantage there. But yeah. if you say you have like an option route, if it's a, an effectively equivalent of like a three-yard option or a five-yard option, because he's starting five yards in the backfield, he has to run vertical for 10 yards. But with his quickness, that's not, it's not that much of an issue. Like particularly, particularly on like, um, yeah, as, as a general, it's, it's uh, yeah, there are some downsides, but it's fairly limited. I, I would I would say that that he should, he should definitely be running a lot of routes out of the backfield. And, and, Whatever it is, and however they decide to use him, just based on what you just described, man, it it it's, it makes twenty twenty feels so unfair to everybody involved. You know, with the Carolinas, in the with Carolina season, you know, him being missing for thirteen games, it just didn't seem yeah, fair to, to judge anybody because what you just said, if he's truly our number one receiver, right? Yeah, and you know, and, and that argument. You know that that case is easily made by you know what you just described. You know he he has all the ability. He has really really great hands. What I tried to explain to people during the season, and the coaching staff tried to explain as well. I remember a specific press conference with with Joe Brady, where he said this offense was designed with Christian in mind. So yeah. not having him, I I, I would was, say I would say the caveat to that is that they barely threw in the ball in the first two games. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's, that's like, true. I, I mean, it, this is kind of the conversation you end up with when you talk about McCaffrey's contract. Is like, I think it was the right thing to pay him potentially. I, I, I don't actually mind paying him that money. 
But if you're paying him that money, you need to throw him the ball a lot. Like he has to be like, you have to be throwing him the ball like at least five, probably 10 times a game. Like he can't be just like, we throw him a couple of screens and a couple of check downs. Like, no, he has to be an active and proactive part of your, of your, of your, of your receiving game. And I at do least in the first that. couple I mean, of weeks, they, they did not show the ability to, they, they, they did not use him well as a receiver. They, they missed well, I, him I in the first this. two weeks. I would say this for consistency's sakes. I didn't agree with making him the highest paid running back in the NFL, not because he doesn't deserve it, right? I believe that he earned the right to to become the, the top paid running back in the NFL. The only thing I didn't agree with when it came to giving Christian McCaffrey the contract when they gave it to him was because when I looked across at our roster, because, you know, you got to think about this. This was like, what, the second week of free agency last year? Yeah. When they extended him. It was right after decided to move on from Cam and sign and Teddy. Um, but it came at a time where I felt like the roster was still overall really, really bad. And, and it almost, to me, it was like one of those, I mean, just like with signing Teddy, you know, when with committing to the running back with two years remaining on his five-year deal, with doing that so early, I, I get why they did it. I get why they did it for optics, all of that stuff. And his talent, like I said, it justifies it. But for the team and where they were, I, that's the only part I didn't agree with. Yeah, so I'm no, only I, saying that because I, mean, I, 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 I get the opportunity I, to be on the record and saying that, you know. I, I, um, I think I, I, I am not sure why they gave him an extension last offseason rather than this offseason. I mean, that, exactly. that I, I'm, I mean I, it probably is optics. But, you know, he had two more years left on his rookie deal. I'm not sure why you give him the contract then. Um, particularly because given he's it. coming off a thousand thousand yard season where he's gonna you know, he, his value is at the absolute maximum then so I'm right I'm a little confused why they paid him it, then it's but, like but, paying, it's like buying a stock yeah you know at his all-time high yeah yeah you yeah. know like you don't necessarily want to do that like the, the, his his stock was as high as it possibly could be and I try to tell people I said Christian McCaffrey likely would never have another thousand thousand yard season in his career. And it's he, not because he's not capable. I'm just saying that with his usage rate, as he gets older, and if somebody was to use him more prudently, the opportunity for him to to catch over 100 balls, you know, to rush for over 1,000 yards, you would think that if somebody was using him smartly that he wouldn't get many more opportunities to duplicate that production. And that, that's not a bad thing because it doesn't take away from his ability. It just says that, He's been surrounded by more talent, and that and the and the opportunities could be spread around in a in a way that's better for the total offense. And yeah. so I was like, you know, so so paying him right there was paying him while his stock was as high as it possibly could be in my mind. Yeah, no, no I, I agree. Then, with that. Yeah, and and then and then like you said, it creates this precedent to where like now we have another first round talent in DJ Moore. Yeah, I, I mean, you do Entering, you, you do at least have a new G. Like, Marty did have a tendency to overpay. Like, he definitely overpaid Shaq, for example. Like, I, I yes, think Shaq's yeah. a perfectly good player, but he's being paid like an all-pro. Um, and he, he's not. And, he you know, we go back to, you know, he overpaid Charles Johnson. He overpaid uh, uh, D'Angelo Williams. Like, he did, he did have a tendency to overpay his guys. I, I think, go back to, like, McCaffrey's usage, I think, like, a good, a good stat line for McCaffrey would be something for like a season would be like 80 catches a thousand yards 
150 carries, 700 and 800 yards rushing. Like if, if, if he's consistently getting like 800, 800 or like, yeah, I'd say if it, you want to aim for around 1800 yards of total offense and something like 200, 200, 250 touches, the combined and, touches. And that's, and that's perfect for me. I mean, I wish I could find the tweet from 2019. We had just drafted um, Jordan Scarlett. Yeah. He and so I had a, what's he, that? He wasn't, he wasn't very good. I know, like, like, I know, like, but you know, but I didn't know that, you know, so I was, <laughs> yeah. I was more hopeful about what Jordan, Jordan Scarlett could bring in the backfield to be more of a backfield mate. You know, we had drafted Holyfield or we had picked up Holyfield as a restricted free agent, I believe. Um, Holy, uh, Holy, Holyfield was better than Scarlett and they, they, like, like, I, I, I yeah, I, I, he was undrafted free agent. And then we had, um, we had our guy. Um, who am I thinking about? You know, the Bonifant. Bonifant, yeah, we had Bonifant. And so I felt like, you know, we had options so we could, you know, give Christian, you know, some 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 relief in the backfield. It could be more of a, not a true platoon, but, it, you know, like Christian maybe gets 70% of the carries and we can give 30% of the carries to the other two bats, Bonifant and Scarlett. It never materialized. And Christian went out there and had a thousand, thousand season. But before that season, I said, I would love for Christian McCaffrey to have a season where he has 950 yards rushing, you know, 900 yards receiving, more of an even split. And like you said, maybe somewhere around, you know, 250 to 300 touches. No, even um, even less than that. I think, I think I think the key with, like, it's one of those things where there's a sort of degree of diminishing returns where, like, I think you could get, you could probably get 90% of McCaffrey's production with 70% of his usage. Like if, yes. if if you make it more efficient, you can cut down his usage by thirty percent and only cut his production by ten percent. I think that's what you really need to do. It, it's not is is he needs to get a higher a higher proportion of his touches need to be receptions and not carries, um, because ultimately, as good as he is as a running back, the the difference in value between him getting a hundred carries and Mike Davis or Reggie Bonifon getting a hundred carries is relatively small. The difference right. between him getting 80 receptions and Mike Davis getting 80 receptions is enormous. It's, it's humongous. So, so he should absolutely be the guy, you know, he, he should be, anytime you are throwing the ball, there should be like a 90% chance McCaffrey's on the field. Like, like you know, he, yeah. he, you know it, it, he needs to run the ball enough that you respect the running threat when he's on the field and that you can get those big chunk plays. But, but yeah. he should not be the guy who is just like... He, if he got 50% of the carries, that would be fine with me. If he also was catching 80, 90 passes at a high efficiency as well, not screens, not like check downs, but like if he's actually going out there and running routes you know, down the field, that, that, that for me is a much more palatable usage than, than the like give him 250 carries a season. And I, and, and I agree with that. And one thing I will be on the record as saying is this, when Mike Davis came in last season, you know, in week three, and we won three in a row, and Mike Davis looked crazy good. I think I was over eager to to want to say that Mike Davis could replace Christian McCaffrey, right? Yeah, but no, that was he early can. on. Yeah, that was that was early on. As the season wore on, and you could definitely see where the game plan required a running back. You know, who you no know, who had more ability, you know, to catch the ball out of the backfield than just catching screen passes. Yeah, you could definitely see that there was a difference in the way that Christian McCaffrey ran certain routes 
especially the routes that were across the middle. I can't think of the, the actual term for that route now, but you know, the route where they option out and they cut in. Like a uh, Texas route type thing. Yeah, the Texas route. That's it. The Texas route. I saw Mike Davis attempt that route twice and it ended up horribly. Yeah, it's just not it's just, it, it it's not what he like I, I the Chicago game is a great example of, of why McCaffrey is so valuable. And it's not that Mike Davis can't be a useful piece, but yes. it, the, the the Bears defense ultimately keyed in on 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 exposing his limitations. They look yes. to compact the box and they look to force him to try and win as a as a route runner. And right. and and he couldn't. And yeah, so we should that, probably, it happened in Tampa. It happened in Tampa. It happened against the Vikings. People don't really realize that he ran the ball well, but they didn't respect his route running ability. But yeah, I, I, in, it, any, yeah, we should probably talk about receivers. Yes. Yeah, let's get back to wide receivers. I mean, because it's such a that's such a deep um, conversation regarding how 2020 went, and I think it wasn't fair um, to. I mean, it's fair to football because football is next man up, but. It's not fair for the context of how the offense played, especially, you know, in the red zone. Now, we were pretty good between the 20s, but when it came down to it, when it critical on critical downs. McCaffrey made a huge good, difference in the red zone. It's, it's, a, it's a huge difference because what you just said is, is key. The reason Curtis Samuel had such a great season was because, I mean, because Chris McCaffrey was out. And he became the third down option that Teddy looked to when they had to get five, six, seven yards, or even third and two, you know, like it was like Curtis Samuel time. But now Curtis Samuel, because of that success, is likely going to move on to free agency. Yeah. If he doesn't, I'll be surprised. And and if he doesn't, it's, be, it's because of what you said. It's because something though he didn't get what he thought he was worth. Yeah. And Carolina could match whatever somebody offered him, you know, that was, you know, that was low. But I'm bracing for Curtis Samuel. Yeah, no, to another team. The, the expectation should be that he's gone. And but even though Christian McCaffrey being back offsets that a lot, I still think Carolina needs to at least, you know, for depth reasons, have a legitimate number three option. Omar Bayless could be that guy. You know, a lot of people mention him. I, I sent out a tweet last night. Um, ahead of this episode, you know, to 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 see what the fan base was thinking about when it came to that, and a lot of people brought up Omar Bayless's name. The only problem I have with Omar Bayless being that guy that you depend on is in his first season, he basically was redshirted due to injury. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that he's recovered well, and that when he comes into the season, he'll be you know, 100 healthy and, and raring and ready to go. But we don't know if we could trust that. I do think it's important to, to look at free agency again um, to see if you can get better at the wide receiver position. Um, but, but more so than free agency, I don't know if I want to, to, to find somebody and, you know, and overpay potential like we did last year with the Seth Roberts. I'd rather see if we can get a guy in the draft. So yeah, absolutely. that said, Vincent, who are your top guys um, at wide receiver in the 2021 NFL draft? I think for me, there are sort of three guys who really separate themselves at the top. Um, I think which order you have them in, I think is more of a stylistic decision than it is necessarily like uh, a qualitative thing. So that Rashad Bateman, Devonta Smith and um, Jamar Chase for me, are the top three guys. Yeah. I, I think, I think Chase is the one who makes the least sense for the Panthers. I think he's, 
a very good player. I think he is also quite similar stylistically to DJ Moore in that he's a guy who is, he's going to produce in chunk plays. You know, he, he's, he's not going to be the guy that has, you know, seven or eight, nine, 10 receptions a game. He's the guy that's going to produce four or five receptions a game, but they're going to be like 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 yards. He's going to, he's a real threat down the field. He, he creates really well at the catch point. He's really dynamic after the catch. He, he does show some really nice things as a route runner down the field, but he's not the, he's not the guy who's just open all the time on five or seven yard routes. Like he's not that technical underneath possession type receiver. He's more of a downfield target who's going to create splash plays. And that's very valuable, but it's not really what the Panthers need. Um, so Onto Smith is a, is a really strange one for me um, in that he is a really nice technical route runner. He's really quick, but also is much, you know, he, he's got very long legs. And when he sort of gets it, when he, when he gets spooled up, he's got really great vertical speed, but he's much more, intricate in his underneath routes than you'd, you'd imagine of a guy that sort of you know lanky would be really um yeah. the i mean he is very very light and there are some people who are going to have concerns about injuries and that kind of stuff and i can sort of understand that but for me the bigger thing is that he isn't the best at dealing with physicality in routes he does a really nice right. job of avoiding physicality and his footwork at the line to avoid contact is really good but if you do yeah. get if you do jam him he kind of you know he you can really impact him if you can get hold of him. Well, he's really he's really thin. He's so slight. He's like less than 180 pounds at six yeah. foot. Like that's that's yeah. really really now like slight. Um, and that's not again that's not awful. Like there are other guys who I think would be good for the Panthers who also you know are that kind of build. But I I, I ultimately I think he's going to be more valuable for other teams. Like again he he probably is more of the Robbie Anderson type than he is anything else. And again these are really broad comparisons. I'm not saying he's exactly like Robbie Anderson, but he's probably more similar to Robbie Anderson than than he is to a lot of other players. He's more of that Robbie Anderson, Will Fuller type receiver. Um, even though I think he is better than both of them, but that's it's still. I do too. I yeah. really do. Yeah. Um, for me, if you're talking about the top guys, the only one who I think should really be in the conversation for Panthers is, is Rashad Bateman. Partly because for me, I think he is probably just better than the other two, or at least he, he's, I think it probably he suits what I like stylistically from a receiver. It's probably what I'm, I'm ultimately saying. Like he, he's a very good technical route runner. He's got good hands. He's really good after the catch. Um, he's, he's legitimately fast too. Like he, I think he ran a sub four, four at his pro day. Like he's, he's like legitimate deep threat type speed, but also he's a really good technical route runner underneath. Like, I think the best comparison for him is probably like an Alan Robinson. Um, and it's I think- It's crazy you say that. It's like, crazy you say that. That's who I thought of when I watched him. And, and like, oh no, he like, and Dimmer wrong, Alan Robinson was a fantastic prospect too. And like, that, like he, he he's, a, he's a slightly faster Alan Robinson if, every, and if anything. And I think that would be, that is both an incredibly valuable thing for an offense, but also a very good stylistic fit with what the Panthers are lacking. Like they, they do not have that player who is going to get off press and get open five to seven yards. You know, that short to intermediate technical route runner is not really what they have right now. And I, I think it would be very hard for the Panthers to, to justify taking him. I think he probably only really makes sense if you trade down into like the twenties, which is probably where he's going to get drafted. Maybe late teens, early twenties. But, but thinking, unless you know, they do that, it, it's it, it's going to be quite hard to. You know, he's not going to be there at thirty nine, and you can't you can't really justify taking him at eight if you're the Panthers. I don't think. Well, you know, and and as I was watching Bateman, you know, he didn't play in twenty twenty. He, I think he Great. did a little bit. I think Minnesota only played because of Big Ten. I think he, I think he played in twenty twenty, but Minnesota really didn't play many games because of the Big Ten. Didn't play stuff. many games. I didn't see much of him in twenty twenty, um, but That's you know, true. from what I did see. He was, he, 
the, the first person who came to mind was Allen Robinson, the way that he approached his, 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 his routes, you know, at the line of scrimmage, you know, and, and, and they used him a lot in the intermediate. And yeah. I really thought he worked well across the middle. The one thing that I wanted for the Panthers in almost every season before this season, but you no, know, particularly going forward, I want a guy that they can trust, especially if they move on from um, Curtis Samuel. Mm-hmm. Um, we say that, you know, Christian McCaffrey is the number one receiving option, especially on third downs. But in the event, you know, Christian McCaffrey gets injured for a game or two going forward, I don't anticipate that, but let's say he does. I would rather have a guy as a third receiver because we run a lot of three receiver sets. I want a guy who's a legitimate threat and who can get open across the middle and you can trust them across the middle. I think our two guys that we have now who we know would be on the roster, at least think would be on the roster in 2021, um, and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, I believe they're really good at what they do. But I want a guy who can work the middle of the field a little bit better than I think any one of them are naturally great at. And so out of those three, I think he is the best guy to do that. And so I think if we ended up with a Rashad Bateman, um, (laughs) you know, somehow, some way, I would be, I'll be elated. And I, and I want fans to, to think about this as well. We have a lot of needs and, you know, based on what happens in the Deshaun Watson trade scenario, if that even is a thing, I think if we don't trade for Deshaun Watson, since we went so heavy on defense last year, I think you can anticipate that the Panthers will go heavy on offense in 2021 in the draft. I mean, they still will draft some defense undoubtedly, but I think if there was a ratio, I think you would go more offensive than defensive if I had to guess. And so it wouldn't surprise me to see them get aggressive, you know, and go after another pass catcher, especially if they lose Curtis Samuel in free agency, because there, there will be a need. And so it's, it's hard to predict where, but definitely would like a guy like Bateman, any of these guys, honestly. I mean, like you said, I think it's kind of redundant to get um, Chase. The thing I think about when I think of Chase more than anything, though, is when I look at how prolific the LSU offense was in, in 2019, uh, ran by Joe Brady, Chase was his number one guy. Yeah. And I don't think we'd be in a position to ever draft him. And I do think he is a lot like DJ Moore in terms of his style of, of, of playing receiver. But but man, I think he has a lot of talent. You know, we talked about Bateman's, you know, at his uh, combine slash pro day with Etzos. He he ran sub four four. I don't know if Chase ran the, the forty, but I know he had like twenty three reps on the bench press, which yeah, he's a really, he's was, a really strong guy. He's a strong strong dude, and and I know he's gonna end up being really good for somebody who needs a DJ more tight, but. As you said, because we have a DJ Moore, it may be redundant to have two. Yeah. Um, in some ways, you can look at that and say, "Well, it'd be great to have two guys like DJ." Um, so, because we don't, because I don't see us having the ability to draft them, or you know where we are, or having the luxury to draft them, I'm not going to get caught up in him. But Bateman is a guy. Yeah. Who, who there's an outside chance at? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think barring some like significant trade down scenario, I think the. I think the only way that Bateman really makes sense is if he somehow falls to 39, um, which I think is unlikely, but not impossible. 
Uh, but I, I think running sub four four is not going to help his chances of falling that far. <laughs> I know um, that kind of hurt. That hurt. Yeah, right there. when you're when you're six two two ten and you're on sub four four, um, you generally tend to go in the first round. Now you're uh, you're a dangerous you're a dangerous man if you're that big and that fast. Yeah. Um, because we may not have seen the best of what Rashad Bateman can be. You know, no. Honestly. No, I, I think um, in, in, in I think where. Where he'll be, you know, he would be so dangerous in the Panthers' offense. But if, if, if in an offense where you can't, if, if he's, if you, if you put him in an offense where teams just can't focus solely on him, like sensibly Minnesota, you know, teams could just go like, we're going to double Bateman, and if you know, he was, he was the clear focus offensively. Yeah. If you put him in an offense where there are other legitimate weapons, like if you say Robbie Hanson walks after this year, say or whatever, if you just got DJ Moore. Bateman and McCaffrey and a couple of like decent other options, even with like Ian Thomas and like a, a, a Omar Bayless say, like if teams are going to have to pick who they try and double. And if, if you don't really focus on Bateman, he can just consistently hurt you. He, you know, he can be the, it, if Jamar Chase puts up a stat line, Jamar take Chase is kind of like ideal stat line. It's going to be like, five catches 180 yards and like two touchdowns like that that's that's the, in the same way that you sometimes see those stat lines from dj moore where it's like six right. seven catches massive yardage couple of scores yeah. Rashad bateman is going to be more of the like the consistently putting up 10 reception 120 yards maybe a touchdown kind of thing and that's yeah. just it, it's it's just a very efficient kind of production that is that is really really useful but but yeah no, i think he's He's a long shot, whereas Smith and Chase are near impossibilities, would be my view. I, before we move on, I will just say that my sort of second tier of receiver, um, I have Kadarius Tony and Jalen Waddle, who I think aren't quite as good. They're kind of a step behind. They're probably going to be top 50 prospects for me, maybe even top yeah. 40. But I don't think either of them make particular sense for the Panthers, and 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 they're not. They're, they're, a, they're a step below those top three for me. So that, that, those are sort of the second tier guys, but then they're, they're not really people I think the Panthers should be looking at or who would make much much sense, if that makes sense. Well, you know, I was, I, I'm glad you mentioned them because I was going to ask you about them, um, specifically Waddle, because yeah. when you study across all the, the draft experts around Twitter and, you know, on the internet, Jalen Waddle comes up in the top three a lot. Yeah. And I think it's because of his you know, his speed and his ability to make big plays. Yep. He's 5'10", I believe. Uh, um, yeah, so about that. Yeah, so, you know, like I see him as being probably a more natural receiver than Curtis, but, you know, he's the same type of frame and has that big playability. Yeah. And I think I think he may go first round. I think I know you say you, he was top 40 for you. Um, yeah, top 40, top 50, that kind of range. Yeah, top 40, top 50. It wouldn't surprise me if he's picked in the first round, just because no, no, no. The hype. if he's healthy and he, you know, and when they have their pro day um, or, you know, whatever types of setup they have for him, you know, to showcase himself. I think if he proves that that ankle, I think it was his ankle is healthy um, and he runs sub four, four, then there's a chance that he would get picked up. But I, like you said, I don't know if he's I, I, I think he, for the Panthers. I think he might even run sub four three. Like he is, he is really, really fast. And like he is a good yeah. receiver. I yeah. just, I, I, I think at the moment he is a little bit limited in scope in what he can do. Like okay. you know, um, don't me wrong. I think he's a very good receiver. He could, be, like, he might even be a top thirty prospect. I mean, like, he is, he, he is definitely going to have first round conversation. I don't think a team would be wrong for taking him in the first round. I just think that. 
at the moment, he offers you a legitimate deep threat uh, with a real value after the catch. And if you get him in space, he can be really valuable. Right. But everything else is kind of things that you're projecting. You know, there are flashes of route running, but he needs to prove he can be that more consistent route runner at uh, sort of at intermediate levels. Um, there are, he does the arm catch a little bit at times. Like there are a few drops that are a bit frustrating. Um, yeah. not, they're not anything awful, but just like there's, there's enough hesitancy that, I, you know, whereas I think, um, Chase, uh, Bateman and Smith should all go and be number one receivers right away. I think Waddle yeah. at the moment projects as a really good number two who could maybe become a number one. Same with Tony. That they're does does Waddle remind you of um, Nelson Aguilar a little bit? Not really. I think he's more physical than Aguilar. Um, okay. I think he's better than Aguilar. Um, yeah, I think, he, I think he's better than Aguilar. I wasn't the biggest okay. Aguilar fan. I, I mean, some people were how Aguilar coming out. Um, yeah, no, no, he, he's a fine prospect. I just, you know, I think he he, he went he was he got taken just above Alan Robinson, didn't he? Or am I? Like, I, th- I think so. I mean, I remember him being taken above. You know, someone got to go back and look at. The yeah. But um, so okay, that's that's Tony is an interesting guy as well. You know, I remember watching him during the season. I saw a lot of Florida play, and he looked really good. He looked like. I mean, I want to say Percy Harvin, you know, but he, because he, he wasn't that good, you know. So let me, I, I hate I said that actually, <laughs> but but Tony was, um, he was special. He was special for the Florida offense. Um, I don't know how great his route running is, but he always seemed to be open. He's very quick twitched. I learned in in, in studying up on him that he played quarterback in high school. And was one of the top quarterbacks in Alabama. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because when you have these wide receivers who are really gifted like Tony is, and they have an understanding of what the quarterbacks want them to do, um, they, they, they kind of always are in the right spot. Um, and I don't know if Tony becomes really good at the NFL level, but I do – see that he has some special, you know, traits in terms of getting separation. Um, but then he has some flaws too. You know, what, you know, how much have you studied Tony and what can you tell me about him in case he's a guy that we surprisingly pick up later on? I I, I don't think he makes it to Carolina. I, I, I think he's probably, I think he's really quick. Like it's yeah. not not that he's necessarily fast, but he's really quick. He's explosive quick. off the line. Um, yes. He he shows some really lovely flashes as a route runner. He's got good hands. He's good after the catch. Yeah. I I think the reason why he's not in the top, the very top tier for me is I'm not sure he's not the most physical guy as a route runner. Um, I think he'll okay. do he'll be much when he looks the most dangerous is when he's playing from the slot, and that's not just a criticism. I just think stylistically he's going to be someone who is way more dangerous out of the slot as a route runner. Um, than yeah. he is as, as like an outside guy I'm also not sure although he is definitely not slow I'm not sure he's got like elite burner top end speed um, okay. I think he's I think he, he could prove me wrong on that I was not saying I'm definitely set on but I think he's someone who's going to be most dangerous in that sort of intermediate range out of the slot um, I can't really think of an, like an easy comparison for him I must say but he's I think he's a very good player like for, for me he's number four so I got have him slightly ahead of Waddle I think he's a, he's a very good player Okay, well, maybe like Brandon Ayuk, who was drafted last year. Maybe he? I think Ayuk is probably more of a vertical route runner. Um, 
I think so same with like Jalen Riga. I think both of those guys are more of kind of like uh vertical guys. Maybe oh god, who's the other guy who went to um uh the South Carolina guy who went to the 49ers? Debo. Yeah, maybe 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 Debo Samuel is probably a better comp. Not as big as Debo, though, I don't think. No, no, he's he's slighter than Debo. He's not quite I think Debo has more potential to play outside. I think I think Tony is probably even more slot suited than than Debo was, but I think he's a similar kind of route runner. Where he's not necessarily, not necessarily going to like burn you deep and sort of explode down the field and sort of like posts and, and corners and that kind of stuff, but on yeah. on sort of option routes, sort of intermediate options and sort of crosses and those kind of things, I think that's where he's going to be really dangerous. Where he can, like, when he works, he works really well at the head of the route, working laterally, sort of stopping his feet, getting the defensive back to stop their feet and creating leverage at the head of the route. That's where he's really dangerous. And that's what I saw. I saw a lot of the one-on-one drills, you know, down at the Senior Bowl. And so you can see it on film during the season, but like in the one-on-one drills, you know, seeing him actually execute, you know, yeah. at the top of the route and get separation, you know, that's when these coaches and scouts, that's when they fall in love with these guys. Oh, yeah. You know, he, that's he, where that's where Shanahan fell in love with Debo Samuel, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's why I think he's going to get picked, you know, um, for somebody who's looking for guys that or that values that separation a lot. Um, I don't know if he fits in Carolina, like you said, but, it no. wouldn't surprise me if they went after a guy like that and it kind of I, shocked everybody. I think he probably gets drafted somewhere around where the Panthers pick in the second round, at least yeah. based on projection. And I think, one, he's a very good player. I think for the Panthers, there are probably going to be more valuable players there at that point. I, like, I, I think he would be a, a – like, I think he could play the, the Curtis Samuel role very well. I think he could yes. – like, the role, the role Samuel played last year, I think he could do that really, really well. I'm just not sure you spend a second-round pick on that, given your other needs. I, I can agree with that because that's where a lot of people, you know, when you, when I was watching the game live, you know, while I was tweeting and you could see, you know, energy around the Panthers fan base saying that Tony could be like a Curtis Samuel in this offense. You oh, know, no, but, he absolutely but, could. But like you said, I think that only happens in the scenario where we are actually a lot better in other areas and we have the luxury to pick a guy like that. And, yeah, and right yeah. now, it just comes down to that. We don't, we don't have the luxury to pick a guy like that. So, you know, so those, you know, we just talked about maybe the top five receivers um, yeah. that you have. And so who are the guys that you think may be overrated a little bit? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few guys. Um, I think really the main one who's got sort of a lot of like early round love I don't really get is, is Terrace Marshall, the LSU yeah. receiver. I, I don't know how uh-huh. – I mean, he had a very, very productive early 2020 season. Obviously, yeah. he's coming, you know, after Justin Jefferson and J- Jamar Chase were very effective last year, so he had a sort of a bigger role naturally. I I don't think he's a bad player. Like, it's not the thing where you watch him and think he just can't do this or can't do that. But I, I really don't see what his standout trait is going to be at the NFL level. I don't okay. think he's got notably plus deep speed for the NFL level. Like, he's not a guy who's going to consistently separate vertically. I don't think. I yeah. I don't think he's a particularly good route runner by NFL standards. Like, I don't think he's awful, but he's nothing special. Right. I think there are more drops than you'd like to see. Like he arm catches a fair amount. And while he's like, he's fine after the catch, I don't think he's going to kind of be a guy who is, you know, he's not going to make his money in yak kind of thing. And it kind of, it all comes this bit where you've got this fairly well-rounded receiver and he could be an effective part of an NFL offense. Like I don't think he's just going to be rubber. Like he's not a guy who I think is going to bust as such. I just, I just don't see him ever being hyper productive in a way that is not quite replaceable. Yeah, there are guys who catch a lot of passes and are gain quite a lot of yardage, but a lot of it is kind of quite reproducible. Yeah. Um, like you know, it's, it's so you haven't like, been like a Corey a Corey Davis type. 
from the Titans. Maybe. I, I mean, I think no. I, I think Corey Davis is more a guy. Corey Davis is a guy who runs some routes very well and some routes very poorly. Like he okay. has physical limitations. So there are certain routes he does well at and certain routes he does quite poorly at. And okay. so he's a guy who is more just like he has to run a somewhat limited route tree by kind of physical limitation. Like he's very, very long limbed, doesn't decelerate and reaccelerate very well, but does quite well the sort of a vertical route tree. I think who I mean, like Brandon LaFell is maybe not a bad comparison. Like I like for yeah. like a Panther thing where like a guy who's like, it's not that he's bad. I'm just thinking he's an LSU guy too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's but, like yeah. I think a lot of what he does, you can probably replace quite easily. Like, I, I, I at no point when Brandon Fell was with the Panthers, were you like, I cannot believe Brandon Fell's out there. He's a terrible receiver. How's this happening? But when he left, it was never like, how are we going to replace his production? It's just, you know, right. It, it's that kind of guy, I think. I think, yeah. Okay. Or maybe a guy like we just lost a, you know, a couple of seasons ago, and that's Funches. Yeah, I, th- I think Funchess is slightly different stylistically. Like Funchess, right. uh, I mean, Funchess, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I think Funchess's drops made him quite hard to 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 really... To miss. To, to push. Because I think he did some really nice things. Like, I think there were some really good flashes of him as a route runner. But they were yeah. just... He was not so good at that to make up the fact that, like, like he dropped the ball a fair amount. Whereas, like, like, for me, the best receiver prospect I've ever seen is Amari Cooper. And although he drops the ball more than you'd like he is just yeah. so good as a route runner that it doesn't matter right. like like he, he he creates so many high value catching opportunities that the fact that he dropped some of them ultimately i can live with in the same way yeah. that you know, ted ginn he would you know he would drop the ball a lot but the fact is that when he caught the ball it was worth so much that it was what you know he's not the guy you go to on third down but on second and two his value is just astronomical and oh like, yeah, the uh, upside was always there. The Amari upside. Cooper is just the most ridiculous route runner, um, and always has been. And and th- then he's able to compensate for it. Whereas if you're a guy who drops the ball a bit and and you don't have that kind, you know, if, if you if you drop the ball and it's not a high value opportunity, it's it's always hard. Yeah, I mean, and I get that. Amari Cooper, people don't realize how important he is, you know, to to the Dallas offense and to you know to wet that has become, you know, in that offense and being seen as a top five type passer, you know, when he was, you know, especially starting out in 2020, you know, the way that he started that season. Amari Cooper is really, 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 really talented. And like you said, because he has some drops, people don't really see him on that level. I mean, obviously his contract says that he's, you know, at the top of the league, but he makes playing wide receiver looks so easy in terms of yeah. how he runs routes. I think he's also and, quite a, uh, I think in terms of like exposure, I think he's also quite a subdued personality. Like he's, he's quite a quiet yes. guy and like yeah. that never helps in terms of like superstar status around the NFL. Oh yeah, yeah, because people want, you know, the very demonstrative players, you know, the, the guys who are like me, 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 especially out of the wide receiver position. Yeah. You know, you know, because we've got a condition to the Ocho Cinco's and the Terrell Owens of yeah. the world and Odell Beckham Jr.'s. And so when you have a guy like Amari Cooper who's quietly getting you a thousand yards every season and making ridiculous plays, you know, but he just gets up and hands the balls to the referee, you know, it's like, okay, he, yeah. he, he must yeah. not be a superstar, but he really, he really is special. And honestly, I remember, I mean, I, I always want, you know, good players to come to Carolina, but I was kind of hoping that, you know, we would have an outside shot of of going after him and, and making him a Panther because regardless, you know, of, of whether he drops the ball, you know, here and there. I want Carolina to eventually have a guy that's like that, and um, because he can change the game. Because when he, if he's catching the ball, 
And if he's catching everything, then there's nobody in the league who can match up with him. Um, but, you know, so, you know, that was that was Marshall. Who else do you have as being overhyped? So the other guy who I don't, I really don't, I, like, is Amon Rasson Brown. Like, I, I, whereas with Terrence Marshall, I can kind of see where the hype comes from. I don't think yeah. St. Brown is an awful player. I just, I don't see, again, I just don't see what the, the big selling point is. Like, I don't think he's a massive, I think he's a plus athlete by NFL standards. I don't think he's yeah. particularly good route runner. I, I just think he's a, he's a very, I, mean, I might be completely wrong, but I think he's a very replaceable player as well. So he, is he's St. Brown, is he the brother of uh, Equinamius or whatever the guy's name is? I, I, of, I, uh, I assume so. I don't actually know. I think, it, I, think I, I think they're related. I might be wrong, but I knew there was a, I was tracking him. I'm a, I'm a Notre Dame fan. And I hate that I can't say his name right, but you know I have to like actually read it in order to know that I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I knew that he had like young siblings coming behind him, and I think this may be one of them. I could be wrong. Um, uh, yeah, I'm fairly confident it's his brother, but I wouldn't bet money on it. Okay, you know, and, and so I have seen some of him, you know, at, you know, at USC, I believe, you know, just very little, and I'm like you. I mean, it's like these guys have some some name you know pedigree and I think people are hyped you know based on that especially you playing in a high profile school you mm-hmm. come in with a you know um, as a high recruit and so you know they kind of project all the all of that all the way through to becoming like a first round type talent sometimes you know or a high draft pick and sometimes it just doesn't play out that way um, I to me I'm like you I don't, I don't see anything you know special from St. Brown he could surprise us all and be like one of the, the top receivers out of all these guys. But, you know, I, I don't get super excited about him. Yeah. So who else do you have? So the final guy, and this is someone I still find this quite, I'm, I'm, I'm quite curious about this guy. Marlon Williams, who's the, the UCF receiver. Okay. Who definitely does some nice things. I'm just, I don't, he's almost a guy I think would do better to try and convert to more of like a receiver, uh, like a t- receiving tight end. Like he's, I think he's like six foot two fifteen, and he looks. When you see him on tape, he looks big. And while his deep speed's not too bad for a receiver, he doesn't look particularly agile. Like he, he okay. looks like he like when I say big, I mean like his physically frame is big, not like he's out of shape or anything. Like he looks, he looks like a guy who could put on more weight and be more physical. And I, I can, I can definitely see him being a really nice matchup piece if if you if you play him as more of that like tight end hybrid guy because he does have some nice deep speed and does how does, much how much more weight do you think he could put on his frame he's already 215 that sits with one I, I think if he I think he could add another 10 or 15 pounds like I I I think he's never going to be like the standard tight end guy but as that sort of like receiver tight end hybrid um similar to was it Reed in Washington who played that kind of role where it's kind of he he's if you're going to put a cornerback on him, he's going to give you a real physical advantage. But if you're right. going to put, you know, if ultimately if you put a safety on him, then you think you're winning that matchup where yeah. like he, he's actually pretty, his deep speed is pretty good. Um, but it's one of those things where like, if, if, if he's a receiver, it's hard to see where he's creating value. Whereas if he's a tight end, he's a potential matchup piece. Maybe like Delaney Walker. Yeah. Probably, yeah. That, that kind of, yeah. That, that kind of like smaller tight end. Who's not sort yeah. of the, not sort of a red zone type guy, but more of like a slot receiver effectively as a, as a tight end. Um, I have to see him. I haven't seen much uh, film on him. I didn't watch a lot of UCF, um, but, but I mean, I have to go, I'm going to go back and, and see if I can see some footage of him after, after this, you know, because I'm, I'm all for guys like that. I mean, I don't care 
so much about, you know, being, you know, a certain height, weight or whatever, as long as you can win at whatever position you're in. So, I mean, I can respect the fact that you can see him outside of the way that he's being pegged, you know, right now, if that helps him become more successful at the next level. Yeah, I struggle to see how he's going to win against NFL cornerbacks. I think okay. he could win against NFL safeties. That, maybe, that, we don't, maybe we shouldn't have to, maybe we shouldn't worry about him. Yeah, I don't think he's, it makes particular, and, yeah, unless, yeah, yeah I, I think he's a, he's a player for a team that's got a vision of how he, how he can, can improve. I think he, as he is right now, I don't think he's necessarily a particularly valuable NFL player, but I think he, he, at least I think I can see a path to him. Whereas with Marshall and Brown, I don't see what the selling point is. I can see the selling point with Williams. I just think it's a, quite a long road to get to a point where he's a, a valuable NFL player. Okay. Well, I mean, so those are your guys that may be a little bit overhyped or overrated. Mm-hmm. And so now we're at the point where we've discussed your, your top guys, you know, that's Bateman, Smith, Chase. Outside of Bateman, I think Smith, Chase, and I think we also mentioned um, Jalen Waddle and, and um, Tony, Kadarius Tony. We probably won't go after those guys unless somebody like Bateman falls to us, right? Yeah. Uh, but unless Bateman falls to us, who are our realistic targets based on where we would be drafting at probably after the second round? So I would say third round at yeah. best, you know, is where we can look to maybe get a receiver. So who are the guys in that range that we should be focused on, um, you know, in 2021? Yeah, so I, I think really sort of that third to maybe like third or fourth range is really where the, the value is for the Panthers in this draft. I, okay. I I think this draft there's definitely a clear type that there is value at in that kind of range. Like it isn't super strong in terms of um, sort of possession type guys outside the numbers, but there's quite a lot of interesting slot type guys. I think that's really where the Panthers sort of focus should be. And some of these guys can also play on the outside, but at least uh, are, are that kind of versatile inside outside guy rather than being just like an outside X receiver. Um, okay. I think the, probably on the, the, the more like project type is someone like Jalen Darden from North Texas. Um, he's, I don't I think see he's a got, lot of hype about him. Yeah, no, he, he's, he's really, really like, he's, he's incredibly good after the catch. He's got good hands. Uh, he shows real shiftiness as a route runner. He doesn't quite have the same like real vertical speed um, that some of these other guys have. Like he's not like a deep threat type guy, but as an intermediate sort of technical route runner with yak ability, I think he'd be quite interesting. I, I, yeah, I think he's, again, he's probably more of a luxury piece sort of. I think if you, I think he could be good value and definitely a player who would make sense to the Panthers, but I, I don't think he's the, he's not the 10 catch a game type guy either. He's, he's, He's again another another gadget piece who you add into the rotation, but would definitely be good value in sort of the fourth round, say. Um, okay. Similarly, I think a guy who who maybe would be good value, but not necessarily the best fit, is um, Dwayne Eskridge. Um, I th- he's a little guy, right? He's well, he's one of these where he's quite. They're, they're, all these guys are a little short. So like Eskridge is like five nine, but he's like one ninety, okay. so he's more like Steve Smith type physique than sort of Curtis okay. Samuel type physique. He's got good deep speed. Um, he flashes some nice things as a route runner. Like he actually shows some, some fairly nice ability against press. And he is like he's he's much more physical than most five nine receivers. Like he's not Steve Smith physical, but like he, he's you can play him against press. He's he's not like a slot only type guy, but he is a bit more of a project as a route runner. And also he he does have a few more drops than you'd ideally like. Um, he doesn't have the, his hands are fine, but they're not good. If that makes sense. 
So, uh, so speaking of Steve Smith, five nine guys, you know, who are a lot like Steve Smith, and you know, you're talking about Eskridge right now. But in preparing, you know, to talk about these wide receivers, one name I came across, and you probably are bracing for it. I just need to hear you know you talk about him because he's 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 been called Baby Steve Smith. That's Rondell Moore. Yeah, I I think for me he's I think he's so I sort of have like tiers of receivers in this draft. There's sort of the top three guys, and there's the next two guys, and then there's sort of next tier of receivers. And there's probably okay. more is probably towards the bottom of that tier for me. So like, and bring on that tier is like five or six guys. It's not like twenty prospects. So okay. more is my number ten receiver, and okay. like he does some nice things. Um, he's pretty good after the catch. He's fairly elusive, good hands, all that kind of stuff. I. I think he's probably a similar sort of level for like Jalen Darden for me. I just think he's probably going to go a bit higher and I'm not sure he's necessarily okay. that much better a prospect. Um, I Some think, people have him in the first round. Yeah. I, I, person, I, I think that he's going to be hard for him to pay off unless he makes significant improvements as a round runner. Like he, okay. he's again, more, more of like that gadget bonus guy than a guy who's going to be a foundational piece of your offense. And, you know, I watched him play and, you know, and because when they said, Oh, he's like, Steve Smith, I was like, okay, let me go to the... I would not make that comparison. I, You know who he, he, he kind of reminded me of? More so than a Steve Smith. He, he reminded me of... Um, man, what, what is his name? Everybody knows him. He started out with the Chargers. He ended up playing for the Saints. He was like their third down back. Short guy, like 5'7". Was a halfback, though. Um, War number 41. I hate that I can't think of his name now because I thought about it on the spot. Um you know who I'm talking about. Really, really short. Nicknamed the Tank. <laughs> well, I can't think of his name. He played at Kansas State. Um, Which era is this? This is early Drew Brees. Okay, yeah, third, that's probably that's probably before my time. Which might be yeah, yeah, third, third down back. I mean, and, and everybody knows this guy. Anybody you know who's old like me um, knows who I'm talking about. But he reminded me of a guy like that who was very explosive and very useful. Um, not, not Darren Sproles. Sproles, yeah, yeah. Oh, Sproles. okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, right, Darren Sproles, yeah, okay, right. Yeah, I, I didn't realize Sproles, he... I don't know why, you know, I'm getting old, man, I can't remember. I didn't realize guys. he used to play for San Diego. Yeah, so, yeah, so Sproles, when I watched Rondell Moore's tape, I know they have him as a wide receiver and all of that. Yeah, I can see that, actually. I was like, he reminded me so much of what Sproles did in the Saints offense and, and, and in the old Chargers offense, you know, he's like that third down guy, and he went, I guess he played for Philly, too. And um, yeah, yeah, and he yeah. just he just looked really good, you know, out of the backfield, you know, gadget type stuff, screens and and so and he can run, you know, routes across the middle. I didn't see him do anything really deep. Um, no, he, he's he, like he's not like the he's quick rather than fast. Like Darden, they're they're quick rather than fast guys. Like they're they're twitchy yeah. and explosive, not necessarily guys who are going to run like go routes all the time. And that's how. And that's how. I mean. Whereas Steve Smith was, was like fast. Fast, he was quick fast. and fast. Yeah, like Steve Smith was like a blazer. People don't yeah, realize that. He, but he was, was like a true seriously blazer. Seriously fast. I don't know if Moore is like that, but maybe he is, and maybe you know, just didn't see him do it a lot, you know. But yeah, yeah. I saw him more as a, I saw him more as a receiving back than a than a true receiver. But I may be wrong. No, um, I think he's but, certainly like a gadget type guy. I know I keep yeah. saying that, but 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 guys who create some splash plays. Um, like more of like luxury type pieces for good offenses rather than being like foundational receivers. Like I don't know, I I think he's a 
yeah, he's my number ten receiver. I think he's a he's a, he's at least in the same sort of tier as like Darden and Eskridge and that kind of stuff. I just yeah. I, I, I I think he's probably going to get drafted higher than that. And I don't think he's like he he's not the top of that tier for me, and therefore it's hard to see how. I, I certainly wouldn't take him. Uh, there is a, I think there are going to be better people on the board in the third round, for example. I, I think the the top two guys in that tier above like S. So I was sort of doing it from like bottom to top, but the top two guys in sort of, of the guys who I think the Panthers should consider are, are Anthony Schwartz from Auburn. And, a blazer. And he is just, he's, he would be more of like a Robbie Anderson replacement. He's not quite the same. He's not as yeah. good at the catch point and that kind of stuff, but he's just seriously fast. Just fast. Yeah. And, and has good hands and so shows some flashes as a round runner. Like he's, he's more of that pure vertical speed type guy. Um, okay. But the the guy who I think would probably be the best fit is Mari Rogers. Um, that's a I mean that's going to be refreshing for a lot of Clemson fans to hear because all of them are very high on Amari Rogers. And I mean and and if you watch Clemson play, he always made plays and he showed well in the Senior Bowl too. So you know, so tell us a little bit more about Amari. I think he's he's actually a really good route runner. I mean, he didn't, he didn't wrong. So he didn't play that much press and he didn't play that much outside. He didn't run like the complete route tree. Like Clemson don't tend to run the full route tree as receivers. Um, But what he did run, he ran well. He's really quick. He's pretty good vertical as well. Like he can offer a legitimate vertical threat as well. He's really, really good after the catch. He's got good hands. He's actually like a really good blocker actually as well. Like, I know it's not like the main thing you look for in receivers, but like he's, he's a legitimately good blocker. Um, right. like quite often when you see like ETN sort of breaking loose or, or like screens at Clemson, like Amari Rogers was a was really really good blocker technically. Right. Um, but he's just like a really complete receiver. Like I don't think he's he isn't like a super technical route runner at the route head. Like he isn't in that very top tier of route runners. But he's he's a good route runner. He's got good hands. He's good after the catch. He's not. He doesn't offer the same upside as a guy like Jalen Waddle, but there's really not that much of a gap between like him and Jalen Waddle for me. Um, okay, wow, that's that's it because he's not in the same neighborhood speed wise. No, no, but he is fast. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he runs. I, I, I reckon he probably runs like four four five something like that. Would be my guess. Well, that would be fast for him. Yeah, I, I reckon he runs sub four five. Yeah, um, certainly a re- like I'd be surprised if he ran notably slower than four five, for example. Okay, um, I think he's got better hands than Waddle. I wow. think he might. Well, yeah, Waddle's hands aren't his selling point, to be fair. But I think he's probably a more consistently good route runner or underneath routes than Waddle is. What okay. he doesn't have is like the top head. Like his his best case scenario is not as good as Waddle's. But gotcha. his worst case scenario is probably better than Waddle's worst case scenario. What's his, what's his, um, his, his, his physical metrics? I mean, how, how like, tall is he? I think he's 5'10", 210. Okay. So, so he's he probably is tall enough to spend... like. Playing outside is not about height. It's about how well you can deal with the physicality more than anything. Yeah. And that's why Steve Smith was such an outlier, is because although he was 5'9", he was a really physically strong guy who, yeah. could, who could dominate at the catch point and also could, could really handle himself against press. Like, Jamar Chase is only six foot. Jamar Chase is yeah. definitely going to play outside. Like, yes. it, it, yeah. it's, it's about how well you deal with the physicality more than it is just how tall you are. Um, yeah. And there are guys who are taller receivers who don't deal with that physicality well. Like I, I, I personally think Robbie Anton is a much more dangerous player out of the slot, and he's what like six three. Like, and it, it's interesting you say that because a lot of people need to hear that. Um, I mean, we focused on draft prospects at this point, but you know we do have, you know, two really good receivers 
that we can pretty much bank on being on the team in 2021. But the way that they see them is that they see Robbie Anderson being more of a traditional outside guy because of his 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 length. And, you know, and DJ being more of a um, slot guy because, you know, he's a little shorter. Um, but both are really outside guys. But between the two, I mean, even for myself, I, I, I would have envisioned DJ being more of a threat in the slot. But what you said is that Robbie Anderson is probably – better fit for the slot yeah i mean, I mean tell us why so so robbie can make so robbie's actually really good at the catch point and he uses his length well at the catch point so he he's he's not somebody who can't like he's, it's not like he can't play outside but right. he's not the most physical guy he doesn't handle like he get you know a bit like um Devonta smith again he uses his footwork really well to avoid physicality but when yes. people actually get their arms on him he's not actually that good at dealing with it and yeah. he can definitely get pressed out of the game at times if he doesn't get if he isn't able to get a clean release off the line he can definitely yeah. get pressed out of plays, um, and generally it's harder to press in the slot. Like it's 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 just much harder to press people effectively from the slot. Partly because yeah. generally that means you can step off the line. Generally, if you're playing in the slot quite often, that's where when teams use the receivers to sort of take play a step off the line. Um, yeah. So there's just space for you to work your magic, but but also. Because you can go both ways, you haven't got the boundaries to be pressed into. It's just much harder to press those guys. Um, whereas DJ, although he's not the tallest guy, is really physical. He handles the physicality well. He works yeah. really well to to work through that contact. And even if he doesn't get a clean release, he can work. You know, the number of times you see him work through contact down the field and make the catch is is a is a lot. And and Robbie yeah. can Robbie can do that bit very well. But I think he he would benefit more from being able to get a clean release, like like. The times when he looked really dangerous last year was when he was like working off off coverage, and he could you could use his speed to force the guy into a back pedal, step inside, and and, and he was really good at slants, but slants from off coverage, and it's he those was. kind of things. But, yeah, but people. He, I mean, a lot of his catches, he led he led the team in receptions, correct? Uh, yeah, I'm fairly sure he did. Yeah, and we we dog you know the the wide receiver down in New Orleans for being the slant king, um, Michael Thomas. But I envision in this offense before we saw them even play, you know, because we know it's, 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 loose, it's loosely based on the Saints offense, mm-hmm. the passing game. I originally had, I originally had DJ Moore running more of those slant routes than Robbie, but they use Robbie in that role more than DJ. And yeah. he was really good at it. Um, you know, running the slant because of what you said, I think defenders really respected his speed. And when he planted his foot and, 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 and drove into the slant route, he was open, you know, by by at least two or three yards a lot. Yeah, I, I think crucially though, he was way better at doing it against off coverage than press coverage. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that makes and and if you play him in a slot, you can still run those slants. You just tend to get it against off coverage. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where he that, that's where he can be much more valuable. It's when he can he can use that because if guys can jam him at the line, they don't have to respect your speed in the same way. Yeah, they, they neutralize can, him. Yeah, yeah, they can counter it with physicality. Whereas in your if you're in the slot. Because you can run out and you can run to the, you, can, you, know, you, you know, for example, just a really simple combination, you, you could run a slant, you can run a drag route, or you could run like an out, or you can run an out and up. And just using that, because you can't press you, they then got to respect your speed laterally, and then you can use that to create leverage to run vertical. And that's what he did at times. That's where he was really valuable. Um, yeah. And so I think if you can, I think it would be not, you know, we talked about Omar Bayless a little bit earlier. Omar Bayless is a guy who looks to be much better on the outside than the slot, for example. Like he deals with that yeah. physicality really well. Right. Um, 
I think it'd be interesting to see, even if he doesn't play like 60% of the snaps, if they use him on the outside with Robbie in the slot and 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 use that kind of matchup where you've got a guy who is, although traditionally people tend to think of like the, the slot receiver as the number three receiver, where the number three receiver is on the outside, but but that's because they they know if they press, they're more likely to press the outside guy and that he's better able to deal with that and he can run routes to counter that. Whereas Robbie yeah. is going to be much more effective against that off coverage. And I think that will be a, an interesting thing to see where you kind of, you, you're trying to put players not trying to think about it in a traditional sense of like you have the number one on one side, the number two on the other, the number three in the slot, but this kind of like, we're going to put people in the position to do what they do best. And if that means our best receiver or our, number, our main target receiver is going to play in the slot. I mean, look at what Tyler Boyd's done at, uh, in Cincinnati, like mostly out of the slot, but still being their primary receiver in terms right. of receptions, where AJ Green's that outside guy who creates more of a big threat. At least, right. I mean, it's kind of fallen apart in recent years, but like that was kind of a pattern where AJ Green was the outside guy and, and Tyler Boyd was the slot guy. Even though yes. Tyler Boyd was actually quite a big receiver, he was just so much more effective playing out of the slot. Yeah. No, I mean, I get that, you know, and and so I'm interested to see if they can make some tweaks to the offense like that and to the personnel we have and use Robbie in a way that where he's more um, optimized and, you know, you get him out of those situations where he has to be physical, put him in a slot, let him operate, create separation easier um, mm-hmm. without much impediment and, and see if we can get more out of him. Because if we can get more out of Robbie, you know, that's going to be pretty dangerous considering he just set career highs. And, yeah. and so I'm very interested to see where this offense goes. One last guy that I want to bring up um, as a sleeper, and he was a guy that I just, I watched all season long and he looked really, really physical and looked like a guy that I just want on my team. I don't know much about him, um, you know, in, in, his, in his history before um, this year, but it's Cornell Powell out of Clemson. You know, I, I was thinking about him when you was talking about Amari Rogers, and I was like, Powell, I need, I need to, I need to talk about Powell because he just popped to me, very physical. He, he reminded me of not the same guy, but he reminded me of of Anquan Bolden a little bit. Okay. Physicality, or, so I, you know, like, I, I haven't watched that much of Powell because I couldn't find that much tape on him, so I, I don't I, yeah. I don't want to be too, too emphatic. I, I I think he's probably a bit faster than Bolden was. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. I, I I mean, Clemson have this habit of 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 having players who have quite good potential but are sometimes quite raw. Yeah, uh, and you can sort of be like, oh, I could see this guy being effective, and. I, I think he's a for me he maybe falls into that category again. Um, I think like T Higgins was sort of the upper tier of that, and you've had guys. Um, I mean, you, you know, you, you, um, Hopkins was obviously sort of the, the very top of that tier, but yes, but, yes. but even guys like um, oh god, who's the guy who's Kansas City played for Buffalo before that? Oh, you're talking about Sammy Watkins? Yeah, like Sammy Watkins. Um, obviously, he's again one of the best guys, but again, it's kind of like has, Sammy Watkins always flashed more potential than he's ever really delivered. Right. Um, and um, who was the guy who the Steelers drafted? Martavis Bryant was a similar yeah. one. Obviously, nowhere near as good. But again, you saw all this upside, and you could see it on tape, and never quite delivered. And I think for, I think Powell is another guy where it's like you can see the upside. You can see how he could work out. He's a guy who, again, like, whereas a Rogers was actually really quite, is actually much more polished than most Clemson receivers have been coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Powell is maybe a guy who who is more of a, like a, an athletic project than he is kind of a, a polished guy. But again, I haven't actually watched that much. Yeah, though, I mean, so but, I, don't, I don't want to be too emphatic about that. As a, as a, because, you know, the one thing, I mean, what you said is true. I think with Clemson, 
they were on the rise as being noted as like, you know, wide receiver you, you know, because they had um, DeAndre Hopkins, they had Sammy, Sammy Watkins. And as recent as last year, they had T Higgins. Yeah. But they always seem to have one and they had Mike Williams, you know, during Deshaun Watson's era, um, who was a big receiver. And so they've had these number one guys every year. And I think this year, was probably like the first year in a while where they didn't have like a prolific type guy. Like T Higgins was that last year. And they had, um, I think his name was Justin Ross. Um, so power kind of yeah. got washed out of, you know, out of the top two, you know, for the, his duration at Clemson until this year, where I felt like it was him and Rogers as the one and two. Yeah. And I wonder, like what you said, I wonder if he's just going to be a guy who really doesn't get much, um, opportunity or, you know, doesn't really have the talent to, to take off at the next level. I, I think he has, I, I think he has the talent. Evolved. I think yeah. he has the talent. It's more, does he have the, I think he's a guy that, t- that a team will have to look at and go like, we can coach this guy and we can, we can take the talent he has and, and develop it. I think this is just my personal opinion. I think Clemson has relied a lot on having very talented players. I'm not sure yeah. Clemson has done a great job of player development historically. Um, and, that, and that may be true. I mean, and, and, and it's hard to it's hard to say because I think the results have been mixed um, at the NFL level. But when they've been good, they've been really good. Um, we just, but really, I say that, but really, it's been DeAndre Hopkins who's been really good, um, and everybody else has been okay. levels of fine. Yeah, 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 yeah different yeah. shades of fine. T. Higgins um, could, could turn out to be really good. Yeah, yeah, and he, and he and he was one of for me. You know, he's one of the the better receivers that Clemson's produced recently. But um, I remember going back and watching Martavis Bryant. It was like he basically ran three routes in college, and it's yeah. like that was effective. Like he was a useful player for Clemson. But how on you? Know, how how you can project a guy who ran three routes to <laughs> to, to yeah yeah? It, it's it's Clemson are very good at using players to benefit them rather than using players to benefit the player. Well, let me ask you that. I mean, based on that, what you just, you know, gave us and and the fact that, you know, he ran like a simplified route tree and most of the guys at Clemson do. Yeah, I would point out that almost no college receivers run like the full route tree. So like, you know, the idea that they run a smaller route tree is just like fairly commonplace in college, but it's about how much smaller. I mean, like, don't me wrong, like a lot of the like spread type guys, like if you go to like UCF or, or like there are guys who you watch, it's like you run four routes and they are you know you run a slant you run a go you run like a five yard stop and maybe you run like a post and it's like that's just all you do um, yeah there are there are a lot of college offenses that just run like the same stuff over and over yeah. and over and over again yeah no i mean it's, it's it's very interesting man i just i see him and he looks so raw and he looks like a guy you know that if he is coached up at the next level could be a star you know potentially and so I, I didn't want to have this discussion about wide receivers mm-hmm. and not bring up the guy that every time I saw him, I just was almost at the point of salivation. Like, yeah, I just, give me that. You know, if I can get him on day three, potentially, like I, I want to take a flyer on, on him. And so, um, it's, it's, so definitely, it's, just, it's definitely worth taking those shots. It's about taking those shots of value and, and also yeah. doing, doing your homework as well. Like if you're going to have to develop a guy, you've got to be, you've got to, you've got to interview him. You've got to, you've got to have an idea of who he is and whether he's going, you know, whether you think he's coachable. Whereas 
ultimately players who are more technically rounded, even if they're not very coachable, as long as they line up in the right place and do the right thing, if they've got good enough technique already, you don't actually have to improve them that much. Whereas if a guy is is a project, then then their coachability becomes even more important. And okay, then one 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 last guy. I hate doing this to you, no, but I gotta get I gotta get clarification on, on this guy too. The Yami Brown. Yeah. From from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you think know, he's quite good. Um, okay. For me, he's sort of in that fourth tier. So not the sort of like Amari Rogers, um, Anthony Schwartz tier, but sort of the tier below that. So sort of a bit below Rondale Moore, but sort of in Tyler Vaughan's Kate Johnson, Tamorian Telly, Tutu Atwell, that that kind of tier. Okay. Where I think he's he's um, he flashes what he can become, um, but you'd like to see him take his route running to another level. And again, like North Carolina is a great example of an offense where they ask their guys to do like the same thing yeah. over and over and over and over again. Um, yeah. That sort of almost bigger 12 offense type style where it's not anything that different. It's just, it's very subtle variations on similar things. Yeah. Um, and he flashes a lot of potential as a route runner, but you just want to see it more consistent and over a more varied route tree. Um, yeah. And obviously if a guy is asked to run four routes, it's not his fault. Like, it might be his fault. Like it might be because he can't run anything else. But quite often, it's because that's just what the offense does. And yeah, you'd much rather see a guy is. like absolutely nail himself, like ha- nail how he runs those four routes, like have a really good setup for each route and consistently execute those routes to a high level. That's much better than a guy who runs twenty routes but runs them unremarkably. Yes. But obviously, at the NFL level, you you have to be able to run a bit more than that, and you have to be able to take the things that you apply to one or two routes, say, and apply them to five or six or seven routes. Um, And and that's really where the projection comes in. So he's another guy who I think is probably worth like a mid-round pick. Like if you took him in the fourth, I think that'd be fairly good value. But it's a guy who you you probably need to interview and and again, have a fairly good sense of how how he is as a a person, as well as like a a football player, because he is, his development is is a significant factor in his value. Well, I mean, I'm glad I'm glad that you gave me that because I was I, I really wanted to make sure that we gave like all of these candidates, you know, a, 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 an opportunity to be dissected a little bit, you know, for the listeners. And the crazy part is for all of you listening out there, there are probably about, you know, five to 10 other guys that we could have mentioned and went in, in depth on because the wide receiver position is a position that's full of gems. And sometimes, you know, it's about you know, somebody being able to see them outside of, you know, what they were able to to, to showcase in college. Um, when, it, when it comes to drafting or at least scouting, I should say, scouting wide receiver prospects, sometimes, you know, they, they may have been in an offense, you know, that was very simplified, you know, but they show abilities that a good scout can see and, and say, okay, you know, that works well within the offense that we have here in Carolina. And so, you know, we mentioned uh, quite a few guys today, you know, that could potentially fit in Carolina. We know we, we, we named the top candidates and, you know, with Bateman, Smith and Chase. You know, obviously, we would love to have any of those guys. Rashad Bateman, stylistically, I think, you know, as a preference for Vincent and myself. Um, we talked about some overhyped guys like Marshall, St. Brown, Marlon Williams. Um, all of those guys have talent you know, but fit, you know, and, and, you know, based on where they would likely be drafted, you know, that, that may not be a, a good situation for, for Carolina. We talked about guys like Tony 
and Waddle, who weren't in the top three, but have a lot of talent and could be a great fit for somebody, maybe even Carolina, but it's all about fit and positioning, you know, for where we are in the draft. Yeah. Last, we talked about Darden, Rogers, Swartz, Eskridge, you know, guys who could be really good um, if we're able to get them on day two, day three. Yeah, um, probably late day two, early day three type guys. Yeah, it's, it's so so many, so many names, so many guys. And it's like I said, it's, it's more guys that, that we didn't feature, but there's a lot of talent. Um, and I think because of where we are um, on the roster with the wide receiver position, we do have an opportunity to improve that position, especially if we lose Curtis Samuel. Um, you know, but the reason for this show isn't just to talk about drafting any old guy in, 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 in any in every position. The reason for scouting the culture is to just identify the fact that good teams are built through the draft. Yeah. And so every position group is important because good rosters are built via the draft. I mean, that's my philosophy. You know, there, there's great talent that can be found in free agency. Um, but I think great organizations build through the draft. And even though we have some really high quality starters on offense, uh, and some on defense. The one thing that always bothered me about the Panthers is depth. Yeah. And I think going into this year with where we are at the wide receiver position, even with having, you know, two really good receivers at the top of the depth chart and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, um, considering Robbie's in the last year of his contract, um, DJ Moore is going into year four um, of his five-year rookie deal. I think it's important to think about who could be the next man up. And so every year you should look to improve every position. And I think you should start with the draft. So we gave you a lot of guys to consider today. Um, hopefully, you know, we have an opportunity to get one of them. And, uh, and I, I trust the, the coaching staff um, and the, you know, general manager, Scott Fitterer, to identify the best talent for that position so we can have depth at the wide receiver position. But that's all we have today. Uh, it was a great episode. Again, it was a lot of uh, prospects that we had to go through. And we also went through a lot of uh, Panthers news. And I'm sure by the time we talk again, there will be more news to discuss. Oh, yeah. Uh, because we, we are full of drama in Pantherland. Uh, and so, uh, but it's good, though. I think it's good fodder, you know, for the offseason. Um, it's a long offseason in the, in the NFL every year. But uh, we are at the beginning of March. And in two and a half weeks, we'll be talking about free agent signings. Yeah. And so that's the cool part is when free agency comes around and we're able to start seeing some of the free agent acquisitions, that's going to help inform the draft and yeah. you know who the Panthers probably will be likely to, to target early in the draft. And then we can start really forming up. Um, these 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 discussions, you know, around like what's the real need after we see the the first wave of free agent signings ahead of the draft. And so I think you know it'd be a good idea for us, you know, that after we go through all these position groups, towards the end, to look at where we are yeah. post first round of free agency and say, okay, now we know what we have on the roster, and now we head into the draft with these um, clear. Um, opportunities to get better at certain positions. And, and that's going to be a really good and well-informed conversation based on where we are. But that's all I have for you. Um, Vincent, do you have anything before we sign off, sir? No, that's it, really. Only just you can find me at vrichardson444. JJ, where can they find you? 
uh, Panthers Culture on Twitter, Panthers Culture 51 on Instagram, even though I don't do that much there. And I, I do have a Facebook page um, that's Panthers Culture as well. But, um, but you can find me at, at all of those or any of those. I prefer Twitter. That's where I hang out most of the time. And then you can find this podcast. I mean, obviously, if you're listening, you found it. Um, but, you know, we are on Spotify and we are on um, Apple iTunes, Scouting the Culture. You know, until next week, folks, it's been a pleasure. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.